It is that time now once again For getting lumped up with my friends It's Rock the Mike And Rob that you should know And you'll find them here on the Rock Show Gentlemen, this is another rock of Mike and Rob present the wonderful, the talented Mike Skill. Yeah. What's Welcome up, my boy, Mike? How are you rockers doing out there? Oh, we're doing great. We're doing great. Are you on the East Coast, right? Yeah, yeah. we're in New York. Yep. Beautiful. Out of the city. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. I miss New York. Okay, everybody. So we've got Mike Skill, uh, founding member of the Romantics, the classic band, iconic band. Yeah, and uh, Mike has played guitar in the band. He's played bass. He's one of the main songwriters. Yep. He's really one of the uh, driving forces of the band. He keeps it going. They still play today. Yep. And uh, let's get into it, Mike. Let's let's talk about how this all started for you. Now, you're from Detroit originally, right? Yep. Okay. Now, I've got to ask you something. Well, what is it about Detroit guys? They rock so hard. <laughs> okay. Well. Uh, I was born in Buffalo, New York, and we moved. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, my 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 mom's sister who lived in Detroit, so we moved Detroit later down the road in okay. uh, 1961. Right. Uh, yeah. So, what is it about uh, Detroit? Um, well, like Wayne Kramer says, it's a working class town. Right. And uh, a union, big heavy union town. When I was growing for not growing up. Right. Uh, heavy union, and uh, they were making automobiles 24 hours a day. Uh, we had uh, what it boiled down to like uh, three, four main uh, autos, auto companies. And uh, uh, let's see, it was uh, when I was growing up, it was, uh, I was on the east side, far east side. Uh, and about two, uh, about two miles or three miles from uh, the stamping plant, uh, the, the Chrysler stamping plant and all the stuff was um, the, uh, the Dodges and Plymouth Chrysler were made on the east side. Right. And uh, you could hear at night in the summer when we're out, like hanging out as kids, you know, 12, 13, 14 years, you, uh, it's late at night, 11, 30, you're out hanging out and in the grass talking and you could hear the stamping plants. You could hear the stamping yeah. plants in the ground, the ground coming three miles away. Um, so it was in, in your life, like all the time, you know, and, and then with the air, the air wasn't great. It was real clean and uh, smoggy and, uh, dusty and dirty, and everybody was working class real hard. Everybody had someone in their family that worked for the auto industry. Right. So you were really a sweaty, it was really a, a classic working class town. Everybody worked their butt off, and a lot of musicians worked at the auto plants. They'd work late nights or they'd work uh, whatever they could and then do shows or play clubs and bars, and they would have their lounge acts uh, sold in the 50s and 60s, early 50, 50, 1950s and early 60s. Right. They were like soul bands, more like soul bands before the Beatles came. Sure. It was like soul music uh, and, you know, probably a few Elvis tunes, but mostly like James Brown and Otis Redding and that kind of rock bands. Those were the bands at the time. And of course, and Motown were, eventually. Yeah. And then I was about 12 and I, 12 or so, and uh, I hadn't played guitar yet, but I, Motown was smoking. It was, uh, it was, um, what was the song? Um, um, Oh, God. my mom always said, uh, you better shop around. Right. Shop around. Yeah. 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 That Great was song. a song. I, yeah. 
so that's the stuff we're hearing and we're kind of like we're kind of like feeling like wow this is our our little clubhouse that that, that recording studio is like our part of our family you know and that's that's what's so unique about detroit okay uh, the musicians that have come out of there whether it's Alice Cooper or Iggy Pop yeah. or Wayne Kramer or, um, you know, you guys, there's that R&B kind of going through your music. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, that yeah. you all have that in common because you were so influenced by the R&B in, in your town. Yeah. From the ground up, man. We felt from the, right from the street, right from the street. Right. right. Now well, you, like you guys, like mm-hmm. you guys, I'm sorry, but I just want to interject there. Like you guys have, you know, you have uh, Brooklyn, which is like a, it's like a, it's like a family thing. You know, there's like a, a vibe and then like Queens, there's a vibe, you know, yep. yeah. Yonkers, all that. And that's the same thing in Detroit. It was a big city, but there was a vibe, a city vibe. It was really strong. I've it's been like there that. twice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, about 20, 20 odd years ago. I was in yeah. Greek, Greek town and, yeah. uh, you know, we caught a couple of bands around there and I, I just, I dug it. It's really, it's really straight ahead. Everybody will tell you how it is, you know, just like New York. They'll tell you how it is, and yeah. they'll 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 stand their ground and put, you know, lay lay their uh, views down, man. It's, it's and the music is like that. It's just like I think the the pounding, the the, the whole thing with the, the auto industry just was in our. It somehow we had to release, or have a release, and music was it. Entertainment was it. It's that uh, the industrial, dust, yeah. industrial beat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you work all day. You want to go to, uh, you know, a jazz club or a rock club or a, a soul club or whatever, you know, all they all that they had back in the day. Yeah, you want to unwind. Yeah, I mean, your first band was called High Tide. That was my first when I was sixteen. Yeah. Right. Wow. Now was yeah. uh, Jim Jim Marinus was in that with you? Uh, Jimmy wasn't in with me yet. He was in later, a couple of years later, uh, when we went. I went to junior uh, high school when I was just jumping into ninth grade. I met Jimmy. My, uh, how, how'd you meet him? Just in school or just, uh, well, there was one side, you know, there was always one side of school with all the cool people. And the other side of school was the other side of the building was, uh, you know, so you, if you got out on that one side, it was all, like, there was a three long, long hairs that were in the school at the time. It was like a big deal. <laughs> you know, uh, this guy was a real like toughie, but he was, he was like, uh, I can't remember his name, but he had the longest hair in the school, and like you had to be really cool when you walked on that side of that side of the school because that, that was you know that you was the to, tough side. Yeah, you had to get your uh, dander up, <laughs> so to speak, to keep it clean. And uh, wow. yeah, so and uh, everybody was everybody was bouncing around in and out of bands. I mean, you talk, one neighborhood would have a band, and my neighborhood had a little band, two or three of them, and then you'd go about five, six blocks over, there'd be another band. And you go on the other side, uh, other other section. They were ten blocks away. There's another band, and you would go over, and there'd be friends of yours, and you'd learn you'd learn a certain kind of songs, a certain set of songs on one side. You go to your friends, oh, you know that song, okay? So they teach you, uh, uh, you know, I can only give you everything, you know, by them. Right, right. Or or you go to the other area and you learn Gloria, or you know. See, you're learning stuff in all different areas. Everybody was playing. Everyone was playing guitar at the time. That's what was great was about a, the '60s. I mean, there's yeah. large bands everywhere. Yeah, it was right exactly, and everybody had a guitar, and everybody's uh, popping in and out of bands, and you're playing in the garage, and kids are watching you, and you're just blasting it out. Really, just everybody. Yeah, it was it was really cool. You so know what? That was guitar. almost like New York City. New York City. We had so many places where people would play live, and it was yeah. great. Yeah, exactly. I mean, John Lee Hooker, he worked he worked on a, on a, uh, 
one of the Chrysler, or, uh, I think it was Ford. He was on with Ford, but he was uh, he was working and uh, doing shows as well as well. You know, up on Hastings Street and uh, right uh, the show bar. I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, Henry's Show Bar, I think it was. But uh, there was a bunch of little bars that all all the Motown guys would go to. They'd have to they'd have to go in there and drag uh, uh, drag James Jamerson out. You know, where's James? <laughs> He's supposed to be in the studio. You know, he, they have to go to the bar and find him. Go to the bar guys. and find him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's th- funny. Marvin Gaye was doing like um, one of his songs, and it was like uh, twelve or one o'clock in the morning. They went in, and he was kind of like tipsy, you know, tipsy. Yeah. I think we had to go get him. He he actually, if you read it, he laid on the floor and played the bass on, uh, I think what's going on, and one of those songs, the solo, the solo uh, uh, tracks of Marvin Gaye. He's wow. on the floor. He was so messed up. He was on the floor playing the bass. Track. Yeah, we did incredible. we did a we did a podcast last year on on Marvin Gaye. That oh yeah, ended up yeah. very fascinating. Really, the whole the whole life. In, incredible. Yeah, incredible. yeah. Now, what did you start? What did you think about when when the Stooges and the MC Five came along? Uh, when okay, let's let's see. Um, I kept hearing about it. I was in junior high, and I kept hearing about hearing about these bands. Uh, the MC Five, they were like, uh, they were still playing covers, and they were playing yeah. like hamburger stands and. <laughs> wherever they could, wherever they could, they could. Um, and then there was these clubs opened up for teen clubs. They're called the Hideout. There was one on the east side by Gross Point, which is kind of an uppity neighborhood. Yeah, Gross, Gross Point down the freeway was, and um, it was right next door to the part of Detroit I was in. Uh, but all the bands would play there. The SRC, uh, which is uh, uh, oh god, I'm missing, forget his name right now. Scott Richard, Scott Richard Case, he. Uh, you got to look up these guys. SRC is one of the best. Two, oh, so, yeah, I, I know two records. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then you'd have you'd have Bob Seger be playing over there with Bob with, Seger uh, system. Robert, right. Yep, wow. Bob Seger, the last herd. You had guys from uh, Grand Funk were in uh, a group called uh, the Pack. The Pack, they, Terry, the Terry, and the Pack. Ter- yeah. Yeah, Terry Knight and the Pack. Mm-hmm. And then uh, let's see, you had Iggy was in uh, was playing drums before he played. Uh, yeah, the iguanas. Uh, yeah, the iguanas and uh, the prime movers. Right. And and, uh, yeah. and uh, that was out of Ann Arbor. So you're hearing these rumbles, and then these clubs were opening up. So then I was like 15 or something. I don't know. I didn't have a car, you know, no job, money, just a guitar, you know, standing at home playing all the time. And um, I'm hearing about these places. And then next thing you know, my friend brings home a record, and it's Looking at You by the MC5. Awesome. And um, right. you put that on, and it's like, oh, my God. It's like the Who had come out. I saw the Who on this this show in Detroit called Swingin' Time. It was Robin Seymour and Swingin' Time, and it was out of Windsor, Windsor, Canada, which is right across the river from Detroit. I, I, I've been to the casino there. Yeah, CKLW was the radio station. It was like fifty thousand watts, and um, they would they would play all those uh, records, those early records, early Bob Seger, MC Five, SRC, uh, SRC did uh, they did I'm so glad on their own label. Yeah, and uh, but anyway, they, those records would get played. They go on the TV show uh, Swingin' Time. So I saw the Who. The Who came into town. They were playing in Ann Arbor at the Fifth Dimension. Was and, this during uh, the Tommy tour of America? Yeah, it was before that. It was uh, I think it was uh, my Which generation. One? My generation yeah. had just okay. come out. Okay. And uh, and uh, they were on TV. And so when I heard the the Five, I thought, man, they're kind of like the Who. They're kind of wild like the Who, but they got that feedback thing like the Yardbirds. All the feedback. A lot of fuzz tone. Yeah, and then yeah, they, yeah their show. Because of the soul thing, they were like it was like a rock and roll soul uh, James Brown show, kind of like real tight, 
uh, real kind of constructed, uh, moving the same way a lot of times, and just a really kind of show. And it, it really, really kicked butt, man. It really kicked ass. Wow. Um, so that's what I heard about. And uh, I didn't get to see them until later on. But um, in the 70s, I saw, like in the late 60s and 70s, I saw them. They would have free concerts at uh, Wayne State University. You probably see it on, online. It's uh, the Tartar Field concert where they're playing live. It's a black and white film on YouTube. Yeah, I, you know, I think I have seen yeah. that on YouTube. Yeah. Well, I'm, on, I'm at that show. I'm at the oh, show. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, uh, cool. yeah, really cool bands. But there were so, just so many groups. I saw Ted Nugent at uh, Denby High School. Uh, it was a high school that we were, like, uh, football uh, teams were against each other. You know, there were our, Ted, and, Ted with the Amboy Dukes, you mean? Played at the school and in the auditorium. And, wow. he, and it was the first time he put the the rope up and what a crossing is his uh his uh yeah his his tarzan act that he used to do <laughs> yeah and that that was kind of it for me because before that he had migration and journey to center line but when yeah. he started getting into his solo kind of um wango tango thing i we kind of we kind of it was different it. it was different we went to the song aspect aspect like uh with uh uh, Ted Nugent, well, uh, what was it? What was it called? Um, oh man, I, uh, his band. I can't think of the band name. Uh, can't think of it right now. You, you're talking about his solo stuff? Yeah, no, the, the his early band when he moved into Detroit and he started playing around town. It was the Amboy Dukes. Amboy Dukes. Yeah, yeah. Amboy Dukes. Journey to the so, Center of the Mind. Yeah, so yeah. we loved Amboy Dukes, but when he went solo, it was just a little bit much with the with all the hunting gear and all that stuff. Well, yeah, being in a loincloth and all yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we didn't want to look at, you know, you know. Yeah, I, got, I got you. I got you. I know exactly what you said. <laughs> yeah, we were going, oh, okay. So anyway, let me ask you something. Now, yeah. the MC5, it stood for Motor City 5. You had yeah. a band a few years later called Motor City Rockers. Yes. Okay, uh, yeah, romantics didn't happen yet, and right. um, it's kind of morphs into the romantics. Yeah, we were we were um, our best friend. He played harp. He couldn't sing in key, but he could play great harp. <laughs> okay, but he we let him scream, um, and uh, we were three of us. So we had a guitar player and me on on bass and Jimmy on drums, and uh, we were rehearsing in his studio in a basement. We got this house and we painted the basement all red, and we put in uh, all this uh, fiberglass. You know that fiberglass stuff. Yep. We, used to, we used to rehearse every night. In Detroit, bands, when they got out of high school, I'd say it around high school time, they'd get out of high school and everybody would put their money together and get a little um, storefront. It'd be like like $75 or $90 a month yeah. for rent. And you'd, you'd rehearse at the storefront. You'd put all the egg cartons up and all that. But um, we had this house. We had, my friend got a house and we fixed it up. And we wrote these songs and we named ourselves uh, Motor City Five. And we had all our tight skin tight punk pants. And uh, the singer had his, his platform shoes, red. And uh, we had our whacked out hair. And we, uh, the, girl, the girlfriend of the guitar player called uh, Hilly Crystal over at, at, at uh, CBGB's. Uh -huh. and, uh, and she goes, you know, you guys got a gig at, uh, at CBGB's. I called up. And what? we couldn't believe it. And uh, Was it an audition gig or was it a straight gig? It, it was a straight gig at, okay. uh, in the middle of the week, like Wednesday. You know, yeah, because those... Monday nights was the audition night there. Yeah, slow yeah. night. It was a slow night. But, um, but still, it was a big thing for us to go all the way, to, drive all the way to New York. The truck breaks down. We had to move the drums to another truck. And me and Jimmy, <laughs> me and Jimmy drove the truck all the way 600 miles to New York, 660 miles. Yep. And, uh, and uh, 
we get there and uh, walk in, uh, set up. Uh, well, we say, I think we got there the night before, and then we set up the next day and uh, met Sylvain. Sylvain was really cool, and a couple of the Dows and a few other yep. people, and uh, probably Sid Bader's. I don't think, I'm not sure if he was there at the time, but uh, uh, yeah, so we played, and it was pretty cool, and we stayed there, we went home, and we broke up. <laughs> yeah, so, wow. wow. It was kind of tough. Uh, the guitar player was, was had his own way, but uh, his own his weird way. But um, anyway, so me, Jimmy, we had been all these years out of high school. We've been bouncing around, uh, really in his basement, his mom's basement, and then a storefront and the house. But we were always writing writing original music. We weren't we weren't playing the bars and playing cover tunes. We really wanted to write original music, and um, so we stayed. Our, we stuck ourselves in these storefronts, and we, that's what we did. We we'd go there. We'd be there all year, you know, after school or after high school. Just and, practicing, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. If, we, if we'd work, go to work and come come home and go to go to the studio. We, I think one year, uh, I think I was there even on a Christmas Christmas Eve or something, Christmas Day or something, going there building bass guitar cabinets, you know, building my yeah. own cabinets. But um, everybody grew out of that. And um, anyway, after the, the, the thing in New York at CBGB's, we came home. We had tried to get singers all the time. It was always you wanted to get that. Uh, you, you kind of wanted to find that something like that Rod Stewart, or you wanted that Jimmy. Uh, good frontman. Uh, yeah, good frontman. It was a big deal. But what happened was when when the glitter scene started happening and Lou, Lou Reed and yeah. uh, hearing about the Ramones and everything, everybody started getting this vibe like, I could do that too. You know, like, I could, shit, I'm going to sing too. Sure. You know, so it, that's what it kind of what kind of happened. We, um, I got back. We took time off. We said, let's just don't do anything for a while. We've been going and going for years, for eight years or something, just trying to put something together. And um, I had met Wally um, a couple of years earlier before the, uh, around the time of the Rockers, Motor City Rockers. Wally and, Palmer, right? Yeah. I met him. Uh, we were doing a recording for somebody and he was singing backup and we were playing, I was playing bass, Jimmy was playing guitar uh, for this guy, Sirius Strixon out of Detroit. And uh, we recorded a record with him or, or tapes with him. And, and that went by the wayside and two years, two years go by. And I called Wally up at, uh, at that summer. We got home in August actually it was. Uh, and I um, uh, called him and uh, I had heard that first, before I called him, I'd heard uh, that he was doing a show. He had uh, like a fifties kind of doo-wop rock and roll right. thing. And it was uh, like a full on saxophone, three girls singing, you know, kind of a like a review kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got gotcha. It. And I went and saw it. I, I, I don't know why I didn't go in. I still don't know why I didn't go in to see the show. But I creeped over there. I think it was because of case I didn't like like what was going on. I just didn't have to be honest. Gotcha. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I didn't like it. But uh, I creeped up, looked through the window at the school, and jumped up a couple times. And um, hey, he's, he's handled proud pretty good. So I went home. Uh, I told Jimmy, and uh, he said, give him a call. And so I gave him a call, and uh, he came over, and he brought over the uh, Rich Cole, who became the bass player. And um, we all started jamming. We all started, that's when Romantic started. It all kind of and, gelled, right? Yeah, that fall, it was 1976, I believe. And uh, we rehearsed for a few months, and uh, as some luck would have it, um, Rob Tyner from the MC5 was playing with uh, one of my guitar players from an earlier band with Jimmy, uh, Robert Gillespie. And they came over to our rehearsal space and we were writing these punk pop songs, kind of like. 
and you know our short hair everybody in detroit still had their you know 70s kind of look but um we we, we still we were getting that new wave look like that new york kind of uh rock sort and roll scene look. look yeah yeah we're, yeah. we're yeah we're reading uh rock scene magazine and uh and all that and seeing all yep. that stuff yep and uh anyway so uh robert came over rob china came over and they asked us if we wanted to open for them uh at a show uh down in detroit that they were going to do for uh, radio stations tv and all the uh, uh do a showcase and so we said yeah we'd like to do it and uh he goes let me bring rob let me bring rob over he brought rob over they saw the saw us play and uh they said okay you got the gig and uh I think they were thinking it was going to be this uh, easy pop kind of wimpy kind of pop thing. But we had this energy, this attitude, and we had this, like, we wouldn't stand still on the stage. We we're just, like, kicking ass, and the songs were tight. And so when we got there, we played the show, and uh, with our look, we uh, we found these orange, uh, orange sharkskin suits. <laughs> and uh, we all wore our short sharkskin shark suits, had them taken in. They were real baggy. We had them taken in real tight. And we uh, we opened the show for the MC5, and all these people from radio started coming up with this after the show. Was it and the MC5 or Tyler? It was, it was, yeah, it was MC5. It was a re, oh, okay. it was a re, uh, reformed. Uh, yeah, reformed. And uh, they were good, but it was like kind of like, it kind of like felt like five years, five or 10 years or two. Too late. Too old. Yeah, too late. Yeah. Um, they're really good, but uh, we had this attitude, this energy, watching all the, you know, the Eng London punks, English punks, and, and the vibe coming out of New York and L.A., the L.A. punk scene. We're, you know, we're watching all that. We, in we instilled that energy back in us from the five and, and Iggy, you know, the Iggy Pop and all that. Now, at that so time, Mike, did you have tracks like uh, Tell It to Carry, uh, Little White Lies, things like that? That's right. Um, we, we tried to get the single out before the first show with the MC5, but it was late coming out it came out the next week i think or two weeks was that later. the spider record single yeah okay yeah you got it it was uh was it tell it's carry and um first in line i think maybe right right well tell, tell it to carry was a bomb single wasn't it bomb uh yeah the other and what was the first one the first was uh first in line and i can't tell you anything Maybe that's what it was. Oh, the, the B side, I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. Little White Lies. Little, Little White Lies was the first single. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I was the A side. I don't recall the B. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then um, the B was uh, I Can't Tell You Anything, right? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. And um, yeah. and then Tell It to Carry in First of the Line on Bomb. Right, right. And uh, yeah, we, you know, everybody at the time was checking. Bomb was the place to be for uh, a new single. So, we tried to get that record out, our own Spider record out, Spider Records, uh, out that week, first week, uh, that week with the show with uh, MC5. But we got asked back from that show to come back two weeks later and play with, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, God, I'm going to forget. The Spanish Spanish rock and roll guy. Um, the Latin, they had the Latin sound. Mick uh, DeVille. Hmm. Mick DeVille. Mick DeVille. I was just yeah. going to say that. Yeah, yeah. So you played you played with Willie Deville. Wow. Yeah, Willie Deville, the second second show we ever did. Wow. Wow. Was, they were great, man. I love them. And uh, oh, yeah. but we we kicked ass again. I mean, it, next thing you know, our managers uh, talked to the agency uh, in Detroit. Um, uh, oh God, I can't think of the name of the agency. Uh, anyway, he talked to the the big uh, booking agency in Detroit and asked them about some shows coming up, and. Um, uh, come to find out, uh, 
uh, there was a show at uh, Pontiac Silverdome, 75,000 seater. Uh, wow. It was uh, Peter Frampton headlining, Steve Miller and, and Peter Wolf and Jay Giles. Jay Giles band. That is, Jay, that is huge to be opening for that. And, and Jay Giles was the band that we were listening to when they came. Sure. Because they were kicking ass. They were, at they, at they, that they, time, they were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were just like a New Yorker live band, East Coast band with, with a lot of, you know, a lot of balls, man. They used to ass. play the Beacon all the time in New York when they came. Oh, here. that's a great place. Yeah, it is. It is beautiful. So anyway, uh, we find out we're playing the show there. So we're getting ready for that show, and uh, of course, you know, we did this. We just did two shows. The third show is uh, the Pontiac Silverdome, and um, very exciting, you know, and uh, very intimidating. But you know, we're we're a tight band now. We're tight. We worked our butt off, and we played a few shows, and we're ready for it. And of course, it's uh, five, six, seven thousand people in that big stadium when we're going on, but that's more people than we'd ever played for. So, sure. um, so it meant a lot. And uh, it went over. We didn't get booed, and we didn't get kicked off or anything thrown at us. So, <laughs> so it was a success. <laughs> so it was good. Yeah, and that was a good to, job. Yeah. So, you know, in Detroit, I mean, they'll boo you off real quick. But the, uh, the crowd could be very yeah, tough in Detroit. Yeah, There's no yeah. for that. Yeah. Detroit, New York. Yeah, you got it. Oh yeah, I booed yep, a few people yep. off the stage. Yep. <laughs> so we're used to uh you know we're used to watching like jay gow's show and mc5 and you know that whole that stuff just sinks into your blood and uh i don't know how it works but you just you watch it you listen to it you buy the records and it just becomes part of you you know it's part of your whole thing and uh you guys in new york influenced us and we played new york so many times club hurrahs and uh we went to uh, cbgb's again we were there when the blackout when the blackout happened, oh, we really? Was, we, 77. We, was, we drove into town. We come in on the equipment. We drive up to CBGB's and, uh, and we're waiting for somebody to come show up for the last city or something. We dropped the equipment off and the blackout happened. What did you end up doing? That I, night, Mike? I think well, we just hung out. And went, I think we went to a few shows or something, but I ended up staying, uh, we ended up staying some, I don't know, some sleazebag place, but uh, whatever. But uh, we didn't do too bad with hotels, but um, but we, I think we came, we came back after that. I don't think we played that weekend. We came back uh, and opened for the shirts or somebody. I think it was the shirts. The shirts were good. Yeah, band. yeah, they were, and uh, yeah, and because um, we we started playing up and down the coast. We'd go up to Boston, play the Rat um, in in Philly. We do. Um, what we do? We did. Did you uh, play the Stone Pony in Jersey? Oh yeah. Yep. 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 Yes. Uh, that was such fun over there. Yeah, it's a good club. It's good memories, really good memories in New York and up uh, the coast um, over there. Now, you mentioned, we... uh, you mentioned playing Haraz, and I believe that after a show at Haraz, you actually ended up getting signed, right? Yeah, for about our fifth time playing there, fifth, sixth, seventh time playing there. That was we like had, September 79, uh, approximately? Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Robert Matthew, a uh, photographer who just passed away, rest of his soul, man, what a, what a cool cat. He's the guy that photographed uh, all the Iggy stuff and MC5, and he was uh, working with Iggy before he died, where he passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. But um, working close with him, um, getting his stuff together, his photos, and just giving him ideas and working with him. Anyway, he had a he had a he had an in with uh, Columbia, releasing uh, a lot of, of the past records. But um, anyway, uh, Robert uh, turned us on to Cheap Trick. He knew Cheap Trick. Great band. Uh, we had bopped around town and we hadn't played uh, big shows yet, but uh, we went to see Cheap Trick. Uh, 
uh, he knew the guys. We met the guys, and then we we did a, we down the road we did a few shows with them, and um, uh, the first first year no the second year of the band, and uh, Cheap Trick Ted Nugent you know uh, we, we're all over the place. We're doing this is before shows. you had the album out. Before the album was out, right. and uh, Ro- Ro- uh, Robert knew Bunny, and we met Bunny, and Bunny used to collect uh, the drummer Bunny Carlos. He used to collect uh, cassettes of pop bands, hard rock pop bands, new wave bands. And so we gave him our cassette, and uh, he gave it to uh, CBS, the A&R oh. people. So they started, we, they started a conversation with our management, and we almost got signed, signed right away. But uh, they held off. Uh, we recorded by, uh, let's see, uh, Capitol Records. We did demo. When we did the, the Bop record, the money we used from that, we did... Um, those, those singles, plus we did, I think we did four other songs. And uh, those four other songs became demos for Capitol Records. And um, we almost signed with Capitol, and then that didn't happen. And, you know, it's really, it's really uh, agonizing at that point. And, but then you wait a year, and you go, God, I'm glad we didn't get signed a year ago. You know, it's like you get better Something better, better comes along. Yeah, it just gets sure. better. And, so how, uh, how exactly did you get connected with Bob? Did Greg Shaw find you or you searched out him or yeah we were yeah. we were uh we had been ah i don't think we were in la yet i think he may have come to a show in new york in new right. york he was based out of la yeah. yeah he was either in new york or somewhere like chicago or new york or something chicago or new york um and uh we i think management started talking to him. we told him check we told our management we want to do a song and put it out in bop bop records yeah, and, uh, they, you mentioned Stiv Bader's. That was around the same time that Stiv was doing his power pop kind of stuff and, and everything. That might have been a little bit after that, but Stiv was yeah, you're right. Stiv was so cool. Um, we'd come into Cincinnati uh, or any anywhere around there, Dayton or uh, all over any show, and, and we'd go in the back room to uh, to get ready for the show, and Stiv Bader's would be back there. He was like a fan. He was a fan. He'd yeah. hang out with us, and he was just a real rock and roll. Now, I'm sure you. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure you know Frank Sessage. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. We we had him on a few months ago. He was he was great. Yeah, he's on my. Uh, yeah, I got him on uh, on my uh, Facebook. On my, uh, Facebook, yeah. Um, it's all good, man. That's the cool thing about Facebook. You just connect up with all the oh, people yeah. you, you came up with. Yep. And uh, but uh, Greg wanted to do a record, so we did a record with him and put it out, and uh, it just fueled the whole the whole mechanics of the band, you know, it's like one thing after another. You start with the two shows with the MC5, you go do the Pontiac show, you start putting out the singles. It's just like a, um, you just get a, a vibe going. And um, next thing you know, we're meeting uh, Patrick Clifford from uh, from uh, uh, an Emperor Records. Uh, right. Nat Weiss uh, worked with uh, uh, Beatles manager. Manager, He was, uh, he was the attorney for... Uh, uh, Northeast Music, NEMS, um, for the Beatles in the U.S. So he was their attorney. So uh, that's, and then he started, he wanted to start his own record label. So he started his own record label. And that was Emperor Records. That's and, Emperor uh, Records. You signed yeah, up with them. That's Nat Weiss. Nat Weiss is well known in New York. Right. Uh, all over the place. And um, he used to manage Bonnie Raitt and, you know, James Taylor, James Taylor yes. and all that, yes. that stuff. But uh, he was such a good guy. He gave us the best deal. We had, we had all our publishing. Uh, you know, it, it was just a really good thing. It was unfortunate the way things went down later, with uh, another yeah. man, another manager we had turned right. us turned us against uh, 
Matt Weiss, in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, that's that's a few years down the line. Yeah. But let me let's let's get into the first album a little bit because I have to tell you straight up. I mean, it's forty-one years old, forty-two years old. That's right, forty-one. I think it holds up just as much as it did the first day. I can yeah. remember buying that record, walking into Sam Goody. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I was about twelve years old. Wow, okay? cool. And just getting that record and being like, you know, just looking at it. You guys look so cool yep. with the red suits on, and you know, all the great songs on there, and. I mean, we're going to have to talk about what I like about you. It's your most famous song. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the romantics were always, to me, so much more than just that one song. But uh, did you have that song before the, before you were signed? Were you playing it live all those years? When yeah, was that we, song written? Yeah, that was, uh, I'm thinking it was 77 or 78. I think it was probably 78. So, so uh, we were doing it uh, when we were playing uh, Hurrahs and... Uh, Mm-hmm. And all the New York New York clubs we played, Gildersleeves, all that kind of right. stuff, all those places, Copperfields, whatever it was called. And uh, yeah, we were playing it by that time. But Jimmy was uh, still writing lyrics. I, I don't think he got. <laughs> I don't. I don't think he settled into uh, lyrics until uh, like we went in the studio because he was jamming. He had one one verse, I think, and he was always looking at the girls and writing songs and singing about <laughs> the girls in the audience. Now, was and, Jimmy always meant to be the, the the lead singer of that song? Well. Yeah, because yeah. there's a story. Because I, when I, when we first got together, I would bring these cassette tapes, these funky green plastic cassette tapes of songs. I would uh, sit at my house and I'd write four or five or six song ideas, uh, maybe titles, maybe some words. Mm-hmm. A lot of all the music. Usually, all the music was there, and um, uh, so I'd come in, and most of those songs ended up I, half of those songs for sure. Half those songs ended up on the first record. Hung on you, uh, uh, give me one more chance. A, right. a lot of those songs hung, ended up on. Can't tell you anything. Yep. Uh, first and not those songs I'd bring in and go here. Here's what I got you guys. And uh, anyway, so uh, for what I like about you was uh, we had been on the road a few times, uh, East Coast and back, and um, I was out. I was at my dad's house. I was living at my dad's house, and I had just my acoustic guitar. And um, Jimmy has a certain beat, a certain feel for that beat, that uh, four on the floor, yeah. that boom, pop, boom, boom. That's that whole thing. It's not four on the floor, but that's that beat. Um, uh, he, it was in my head. So anytime you played that, I could come up with something. It's, it's like we we're tied because yeah. all those years I played bass with him. You know, I, I was like linked with him. You know, he was he was the missing link. That's what we used to call him. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and. Um, I just came up with those three chords because I liked the rhythm pattern. I really liked the rhythm pattern. I didn't have any other parts to it yet until I got in the studio, but uh, in, into the rehearsal hall. So I got, I got a ride. I didn't have a car. My car, I think it was broke down or something. My mom gave me a ride to, uh, to, to rehearsal. And it was just turning really cold, getting cold in Detroit. And, uh, you know, it, it was like kind of okay in the day, but in the evening, that cold wind would come in. So I went to the studio and it was one of the only times up to that point that I, actually met Jimmy there in a long time alone, me and him. I walk in and we had a studio set up like it was all black and we had like, uh, he had the lights so that it was shined down over his head on his hair, on his drums. And we had a couple lights up front for the microphones. Yeah. And it was like coming, walking into a club almost. But uh, it was for a vibe. And we'd, we'd act like it was a stage, you know, we're on stage. And um, 
I brought in these three chords and I go, Jimmy, check this out. I got this idea. And uh, he got his drums and it was just cool. The vibe was so cool walking. Now that I look back on it, I thought it was kind of crazy him with the lights and everything. I mean, you know, looking at his hair all the time. But it was creating a vibe. I mean, he had the right idea. And, well, you guys um, all had perfect hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had that Italian hair. Yeah. But uh, uh, so I came out, she played the chords, and Jimmy played the beat, and he automatically came up with the, the verse. He was coming up with a, the, uh, like about you, you know, starting mm-hmm. to, you know, just, you know, ad lib, you know, just throw stuff. Around. Yelling them off, yeah, yeah, and and we didn't have anything, and and uh, so we got that, we got the whole thing, we got the, the whole thing going, and uh, the the other two cats show up, and we told them, come on, check us out, we got, and we start playing it, and uh, I go, we need a middle part to come up with the middle part, and uh, then I'm going. I don't know if it was that rehearsal. It might have been the next rehearsal or the next rehearsal we came in. I go, what about, um, I liked, uh, Mitch Ryder used to do uh, Little Latin Loopy Loop. Yeah. And in Little Latin Loopy Loop, when it starts out, when it starts out, it goes down, bam, 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 bam. Hey, bam, 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 bam. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, hey. never, I never realized that. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, then the, and, the, and I love that song. I love sure. Mitch Ryder. And, um, and then there was Yardbirds. With uh, over under sideways down, you know, the guitar part. Hey, so that's yeah. So I thought, what about Hayes? I just started doing Hey, <laughs> and then everybody else starts going, well, Hey, and then um, I don't know, like from a Chuck Berry riff, I go, Aha, mm-hmm. and that's where that came from. So it's kind of like jamming, throwing stuff around, and uh, me and Jimmy finished it up, and uh, that's where it was. and that's what it is today. Yeah. That's how it came I, I mean, it, you know, I'm sure you, you got to do it every show, right? Everybody's got to hear that song. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I'm all good with that. It's yeah. like, uh, it's like, um, you know, it, it's some part of someone else's life now. It's not just my life. The song I came up, came up with the gym with Jimmy at that time. And I got a great feeling of when it came up with it. And now it's everybody, it becomes of every part of everyone else's life. And that's really a cool feeling. Yeah. Uh, now, what, what was it? What was we it didn't like? know. What was it like playing on uh, American Bandstand doing that song? Oh, that's, you know, that's like the top. We didn't, yeah. like I was going to say, we didn't know it was going to become a hit. We just recorded it and had fun with it and played it really well at the studio. And didn't you have a, a double neck guitar? Yeah, on that, uh, we did that first show and I wanted to get a double neck. Yeah. I told uh, the management to check in uh, with uh, Rickenbacker to see if they could give me a double neck. And they wouldn't give me one, even though I was promoting them and playing. I, I got to tell you, no one else was playing Rickenbackers. It was, it, I, I think I was, Tom Petty was, and um, the the nerves out of L.A. The yeah. nerves, yeah, and maybe uh, and Le- Lemmy from Motorhead was playing the Rickenbacker yeah, bass. and Sylvain, maybe <laughs> Sylvain might have had one, yeah, and maybe a, a, the the what was it called the the kids from was the real kids out in Boston, Boston, like, yeah, yeah, but we we got signed and everything, and man, I was at least expecting I was I bought. My own Rickenbacker. If they'd give me a Rickenbacker, I never got a Rickenbacker. But then they gave they given they gave one to what's her name and uh, the Bangles and everybody else. And I'm still waiting for my Rickenbacker. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. But I'm kidding. But oh, you'll uh, take one if they give it to you. Believe me, I know. Yeah, I got you know I got some good guitars. You know, over the, over the years, I I sold a lot of them in the early days, and I regretted that. So I don't I don't sell anything anymore with my guitar wise. But yeah, I called up uh, and got a double neck. They show up with a double neck, and it's 
it was like bigger than me. Yeah, think <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> it is huge. Well, I went, I went with it. I go, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll use this. It's uh, too big. And they go, the other guys go, go ahead, go ahead. I think they wanted me to use it because it covered me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, I mean, you play along with the record anyway. Yeah. So it's not, yeah. you know. Well, you, you go in there. So we, we came into L.A. and, you know, everybody, you know, it wasn't the first time, but it was one of the first times we went to L.A. And, uh, you know, you're out the night before. You got to dinner. We went to Barney's Beanery. We hung out to 2 in the morning. Then we had to get up at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning to go to the show because his wife, his wife comes down and, you know, takes you right away. You're zoomed right in there and you're right in that, 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 uh, that, uh, uh, beautiful turmoil, you know, that goes on your, your, your blood's rushing, your head's spinning. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm at, I'm at ABC, uh, American bandstand and you're, you're just head spinning. You're your head spinning. Yeah. You, know, you try to relax. Yeah. You get a little relaxed, you know, and, uh, then it's all the call comes and you go out there and what's really cool. The crowd just screams and, make you feel really comfortable and he talks to you and you don't know what to say and you freeze up a little bit and you kind of roll with it. And it had to be a little it. intimidating to meet yes. him, right? A little bit. Yeah, it is, really. I mean, what, what a wonderful cat to bring up. The way he supported rock and roll in the beginning. He oh, of course. You know, him and uh, the other guy from Cleveland. Uh, Alan Freed. Uh, yeah, Alan Freed. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, how, how, you know, did you, how did you get connected with the uh, British producer, uh, Pete Sally? Well, um, let's see. Uh, well, um, we knew we wanted someone that could enhance our vocals and make make sure that we were doing the right notes. We were resolving things right musically. This is not going to mean anything to anybody else, but it's these little things that you don't realize that you do when you record that makes the songs last. It's the it's the way you. Uh, the way you approach uh, recording, the way you um, you wake up in the morning, you get up, you have your bagel, you have your cream, you have your coffee, you're you're at the pool, we're in Miami Beach, uh, it's beautiful out, it's September, it's hot, and you go in the studio, one twelve thirty in the studio, and you're ready to go, and it's just like a vibe. So, anyway. What was I getting at? <laughs> no, about <laughs> Pete Solly, the little yeah, things, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Solly was a guy that could do that. He was he played with, uh, at the time, I didn't know it. He played with uh, later versions of Proko Harum. He played in a touring band with Terry Reed. Who did, was did, a, did, did he ever have any connection with the Kinks? Uh, that you know he, he, may, he was a really, uh, like a, he was, I don't want to say, he was a genius, but genius guy, but he was a, what do you call it when you like really got it when you play keyboards? He's just like he really knew the knew his stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. you know he's, uh, you know he could do the classical stuff. He, he just knew that when he was really young. No, the reason I asked that, Mike, kind of a prodigy, kind of a prodigy, like a prodigy. Yeah. yeah. The reason I asked that, Mike, is I just always heard the Kinks in your music. Well, that's right because especially uh, their early stuff, you know, very early well, stuff. The, yeah, I'm kind of going all over the place here. That's the way it gets when I'm talking about this because things pop into my head but uh well that's because uh one of the first songs i really loved for a guitar player i wasn't playing guitar yet but uh louis louis was the thing uh the kingsman that solo and that whole vibe of that song was like it was like a punk song in the, of the early days it, it like, was it was yeah it was really 
Yeah, and then it was getting banned. I mean, you know, for yeah, Dirty, for, nobody understood the word, so they figured it was something bad. You know, this is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, Mike Marshall, Mike Mitchell, who played guitar, um, he just passed away. He just he, passed I, away. Yeah, yeah. And and the sad thing about it, and I'm in Portland right now, and he was, I'm like, uh, let's see, I'm about, I'm not even a mile. I'm about half a mile down the road from me. Is he was running a. Um, he wasn't playing. He played music a little bit. Him and his his, his, brother, his brother and he still played guitar. But uh, uh, he had a cigar shop. And every time I drove by, I go, I gotta go in there. I gotta interview him. I gotta, I gotta get him on online. I gotta get him on. And I and one day and for years, two or three years, I'm going. I gotta go over there. And then one day, I drove by. I go. I'm writing down. I wrote down the questions I was going to ask him. I actually wrote down the questions. And. Um, I had uh, 10 questions I was going to ask him. I was going to go over there next week. And I go to the studio and I drive by his place. And there's, uh, I never saw the parking was kind of packed. And uh, two, two girls were out front. And uh, I go home and I found out he passed away. Yeah. It was just oh, so sad. Because if you, if you go back in time, uh, when Louis Louis came out, the way it sounded, the garage rock that it was, I didn't know it, but I read a story that the Kinks were deeply influenced by the by uh, the Kings men. They had to be because the manager, their manager, told them, "Goes Ray, you got to write lyrics, you got to sing." They were an instrumental band; they were like a yeah. surf band. Yeah, that's what they were. Yeah, doing. yeah, in the sixties. And then he goes, "You got to sing. You're you're a storyteller." He goes, "You got to sing," and they're going along right to try to write songs. He goes, "You need a song like Louie Louie. It's got like I don't have that garage sound that." Raw garage sound. It's got to have that college, that college uh, fraternity thing, and uh, so they, uh, Dave, Dave Davies came up with, uh, with "You Really Got Me," mm-hmm. because of the, because of the Kingsman, and now I'm thinking, well, Kingsman is really close to Kinks, so I'm thinking like, wow, there maybe is a little connection there too, but um, yeah, that's how that came about. They were influenced by, uh, and if you listen to the solo of the Louis Louis, it's totally. Like Dave Davies would did. Oh yeah, it's just it's totally. And it was like two years ahead. Yeah, and like my favorite when you really got me came out was like the shit. It was a it was a it was that it was it, and uh, the, till the end of the day was over the top for me. It was like that was my stuff. I was listening to um, what I was learning from. I was playing Jeff back with the Yardbirds, like um, New York City blues, mm-hmm. all that stuff. The early Yardbirds. That's what I was learning. And then when the the Kings came, the Kings record hits record came out, that's the next thing I was listening to. That's what I was learning to write. That's what I was learning to write. And the animals, the yeah. animals with CC uh, Ryder. Yes. And then the, se- the second of, version of the yep. animals. Yeah. If you listen to Romantics and you think of those those songs, the Kings, Kingsmen, Animals, and then you you throw in a bit of Beatles and Stones, but uh, really those three bands, Kings, Animals, and Kingsmen, that's where you hear. Uh, uh, that's my guitar playing. That's that, that's the roots of the romantics, right? Yeah, that's that. And then when I was a kid, I was hearing uh, uh, Ricky Nelson's guitar player on uh, Ricky Nelson's show. What's uh, Jim, uh, Jim James Bu- James Burton? James Burton. Oh yeah. man, I love James. Do you Burton. know how many people cite him as an influence? Oh, uh, God. You, you, you mentioned Lou Reed before. Lou Reed said that he yeah. was his favorite guitar player. Well, you listen, uh, listen to the solos. If you listen to the solos on that Louis Louis, and, uh, and, and just to just to bring up Lou Reed for a second, is yeah. I remember reading in a biography of him about him that that uh, there was a 
James Burton had like a book in those days that really, really? learned how to play guitar. Really? And oh my Lou God. Reed had that when he was, oh my he God. was a teenager and learned from the book. I didn't know that. Yes. I'm, I'm looking for that book. <laughs> All right, it's out there somewhere. <laughs> but you know, just hearing him play behind, if you listen, listen to him playing, if you're a guitar player, mm-hmm. he what he would do is, like George Harrison, like I think that's where George Harrison came in too because he would write the solo that fit the song. He would he would um, draw from the the verse. He would draw from the melody. He would draw yeah. from the chorus, and then he would use his uh, his countryfied rock and roll, rockabilly guy. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. And um, and then you have to throw in there Steve uh, Steve Cropper because uh, sure. one of the first songs I learned to play was I couldn't hardly play it, but it was. Uh, was Green Onions was one yeah. of the first songs, yeah. Yeah, that stack stuff. Yeah, I'm sure you were influenced by that. So, yeah, when you're a guitar player, so that teaches you how to structure a solo, and then the Kinks and all those guys were teaching you how to structure a song. Yeah, and with the with the Beatles and Stones, forget it, you know. And so, you know, and Lou Reed later for me, man, I just did the song, um, uh, "So Soul Alone," and when I'm doing, it, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like I'm not doing Lou Reed, of course, but I'm thinking. I like that vibe with that voice, so I, I, I kind of, kind of tried my own way of doing it. Yeah, I'm, so, a, I'm a tremendous yeah. Lou Reed fan. I'm, oh, I love years. it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Now, when when the first album came out, um, it it it's funny because when you look, when I was doing some research for the show, uh, you know, it said how what I like about you only got to number forty nine as a single. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's almost hard to believe given the the popularity of the song, but it's just one of these songs that's outlasted so many others from that time, you know, as far as top 40 kind of stuff. Um, did you think you were going to have such a big hit with that song when you first recorded it? What did you think? Uh, no, I mean, you never know. You really don't, don't ever know. You just, uh, you go in and you have a good vibe about it. And you might even come out saying, well, I don't know. Maybe that vocal wasn't quite as good as it. Maybe the backup could have been better, but you know, it's just you just really lay lay every you have to lay everything down on the tape. You have to really you have to get everything out of you onto right. the tape. And with a good manager, I mean, a good producer, Pete Solly. Admittedly, he wasn't the greatest producer, but what he did was um, he he in his own way he um, saved us in a way because we wanted the record to be more live. More like a raw, live romantics. And what he did is he kind of tamed it. Yeah. Which kind of made us mad. We go, man, he took the he took the badass right out of it. But what he did was he caught the energy in a cleaner way. Yeah. And so now when you play it and you turn it up, it sounds really good. And it's got the ed- energy to it. You turn right. it up and the guitars sound great. So he really uh, kind of saved us uh, from ourselves because we wanted it to be really like raw, like we went MC5, Iggy, uh, turn everything up and... But he, he didn't really hear it that it. way. He didn't hear no, it that he way. No, he, he, he heard it the, the other way, yeah. Yeah, he heard it like, like a, 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 well, like a, I don't want to keep naming them, like Beatles, Stones, you know, uh, production, you know, time to do a quality production. And he wasn't really like not that knowledgeable as far as all the, all the gear and studio, but he really applied himself really well. And we kept getting at him like, Man, this could sound better. That could sound better. That that mix, as far as mixing yeah. goes. But um, I I can't put that record down because it does hold up. It it, it, really, it really it really does. does. I mean, it's it's 
and I'm going to, let me ask you this too. Like the, the different genres you guys have been kind of lumped in with, I mean, a new wave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one, one that I always hear is power pop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you feel that's legit? You know, whatever anyone wants to call it, because everybody has their own vibe for those words. I mean, power pop, I think yeah. came along kind of with the who, because, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's pop. It's, it's popular. Pop is popular music. And that's what it was in the beginning. Right. And right. Catchy. It turn, yeah. It turned into, yeah, catchy. Exactly. Melodic, a melody. You could sing to it. You could dance to it. Uh, a million people like it. It sells a million records. But um, it became like with, with the energy of Keith Moon, the energy of all these bands that were doing hard, kick-ass music in the mid-60s, but that always had a melody. And that's what I always thought of Power Pop myself. I don't... In those days, there really wasn't that title No, no. Okay, that just, came along around the time of you guys, actually. I think it was called Hard Rock at the time. Hard Rock. Hard Rock, yeah, hard rock. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's just good. Right? It's know. all rock and roll. It's yes, all it is. You know, um, yeah. I remember we one time we, we spoke with Joey Marlin from Badfinger. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was he was a great interview. And yeah. um, he said that, you know, power pop, we, we never even had that that word back in mm -hmm. 72 mm -hmm. and right. 71 and all that. That's right. So I know it came later on. And when I when I think of it, I mean, there were bands like uh, Blue Ash. Right. We mentioned Frank yep. before. Yep. You know, raspberries, raspberries, same, same, same area, Ohio. Um, and then bands like, uh, like the records. Yep. And, there and you then you, you guys around the same time, uh, it was that kind of like power pop. That's when mm -hmm. it kind of like became a real named genre. You know, yep. called it that, you know. Well, and it, it also became, it kind of became a little bit derogatory because it, it, yes. it could have meant that, uh, it was a wimpy sound or something. I would put another word in there, but I'm not going to. No, but, uh, I, know, I know exactly what you mean, which is why I asked if you felt that was legit, because some, some people yeah. do think that that's a negative. I don't see it that way because it's, but you know it's what? good, it's good, you know. But when you came to the show, when you came to a romantic show. No, it wasn't like. It all laid by the side, the side of the road, because we were kicking ass. Uh, we attacked those songs, you know. They... You know, we 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 started out with jeans and 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 uh, resale shop clothes. When we put, we got so sweaty, the clothes were falling apart. We had to get vinyl and then leather. <laughs> and so, and, and red leather. At that. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy. Uh, we really before Romantics one, we were really into Roxy music. We wanted to have something that was really showy like that, yeah. but more rock and roll. Well, you you and, had a you had a glam influence. You could tell. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, but you know, Roxy Music. I think we respond. I think Brian Ferry mentioning uh, there's an interview in Cream Magazine, and in it there's a section when they put the rock and roll section. I don't know what it was. It was an important section or something, new wave section. Yeah, and uh, they did a long interview with Brian Ferry, and about every other paragraph, every every other paragraph was he was saying, yeah, the romantics. It was a romantic really? thing, very romantic, a really romantic sound, a really romantic era, romantic. Has a lot of romance to it, and I think Jimmy uh, suggested the name because he saw that we were in Brian Ferry, and I think he uh, picked up on that, and that's how we. He must have wrote it down in his book because we were using like the uh, the backbeats or some silly name like that. We were going yeah. with that. You hadn't settled in on the romantic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes, "What about romantics?" I go, mm, I don't. And it's kind of pushing it. 
with that name, a name like that, you're kind of pushing it romantic. So I don't know. That's kind of sweet, romancy. Yeah, it might of, be a little too nice. I don't know. So, yeah. Right. Gotcha. So, but we, we could back it up with our live show. So that's what we, we made it our own. So we, we really defined it ourselves. So, so the first album takes the world by storm. You guys are, are big hits pretty much right off the bat. And then you have to make a second album, which is always for new bands. It's always an issue, right? Yeah. So that, that well, was that was National Breakout. Tell us a little about that. Well, oh, gosh. Uh, well, first of all, uh, four songs on the first album went on the charts. Uh, I think it was three or four. It was First in Line, Tell It to Carrie. Uh, when I look in your eyes, and when I look your eyes, and then what I like about you, right? And what I like about you got up to the middle of the charts, and then it fell off. It started falling off, and our management's talking to the record labels, and the record labels are talking to them, and they're going, they're they're concocting this idea. You guys got to get in the studio right now and do a new record. And we just finished. This was a year, one not even a year. After. And you're touring and everything. On we top. toured. We didn't even go to England. We didn't go to Europe. We didn't go to France. We were oh. nowhere. And it, it was a really, I think it was a really bad move. And uh, that's, the only th that's one thing I regret. And uh, that we didn't get out to Europe, but we still haven't done that. We still haven't, we still haven't, haven't done that. And that's one thing that's on my bucket list. And uh, You have never was, played Europe? We've, ne we've never done a live tour uh, other than playing Holland. Uh, we, Holland, we didn't do France, we did Japan. And Australia, and that's it. Wow, yep. not not a yep. full fledged European. Is that tour. is that is that it was crazy? It was really wrong. That that is hard to believe. Wow. Yeah, because the band is was is is like set up for England. The the look, the, sure. the attitude, the energy. And, it was and, just a, more than any other country. Uh, in, in, oh, in Europe, oh, sure. it, yeah. And uh, so uh, anyway, so what I like about you doesn't hit the uh, the, the top ten, but. It starts getting noticed. Uh, uh, how did it happen? Radio was see. playing the song. Radio was playing the song, but it's going off the charts because you have all classic rock, right? And all you're, you're fighting Ted Nugent, you're fighting Ted Zeppelin in Kansas. Yes. You know the Clash couldn't get played. Elvis Costello couldn't not get yet, played. Not yet. The Ramones yeah. couldn't get played. Nope. None of us were getting played. None of that stuff. All that stuff everyone loves now, but. None of us. I mean, we do tours with Ramones. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to ask you about that. What was it like touring with them? Oh God, it was so cool. We we loved them, you know. Playing in my all time and, favorite band, and we're fighting to get on the radio. Them and us, we're mm -hmm. all fighting to get on the radio. So we're 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 doing shows together, and I'm talking to, uh, to Joey on stage in between. Uh, you know, they'd break down into some other thing, and he'd come off the stage, or I'd come off stage, and someone else is doing like a little drum fill. And I'm talking like, man, you guys, I love your band. I love the Ramones. I love the Ramones. He goes, I love pop music, man. He goes, I love your... He's just so cool. He goes, I love pop. You guys are great, the pop music. And I'm, I'm going, yeah. I go, man, cool. I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, he was, he was... And I realized, you know, around that time, I was realizing, yeah, he was into the girl groups that he was into. Oh, that. yeah. yeah so he was into know. all that pop yeah. music. Yeah. And then we're just, you know, they'd come in, they'd come in and I'll roll in and... They'd, they'd have these uh, big road cases, big as a, like like six, seven feet long road cases. And when they get into town, the crew, they'd go into town and they'd go to the resale shops and they'd, they'd, uh, they'd, uh, they'd buy up all the leather jackets. They'd, buy, <laughs> they'd go to the resale. They'd come back and they'd have five leather jackets. They'd throw them into the, into the uh, it was so cool. It was actually cool. 
Well, uh, leather jackets, the MCs in those days were hard to find. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you had to, there was only maybe one one place in town that would sell them or, you know, whatever. It was hard oh, to find. Yeah, there was Sometimes the you had to mail order them. Yeah, the, the shots, the shots. They, the you, sh- you could, shots, yeah, yeah. They were only, expensive. They were made in Detroit. You could only buy them in, in New York. Yeah. We, we go to New York, we buy them in New York. It's crazy. So anyway, um, Ramon's too cool. You know, they come in. Uh, we're playing uh, down south, and uh, you had to drive through this uh, Davy Crockett territory. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all forests and hills and going up a hill, and it's real hot out, mosquitoes and bugs. And um, we had a, I think we had a bus that time. We might have been in the van still. But they had their van to come up, and they, they just get there in time to go on stage. And, you know, Joey says something. Uh, uh, Gigi says something like, after after, after fighting a, a, a herd of wild mosquitoes, I want to be sedated, you know. Yeah. Bam, right into it. You know, so cool. Sounds just like Yeah, that. so yeah. cool. I mean, was that, uh, like, when you had the first album? When did you tour with them? that? That was the first album, yeah. First album. First album, yeah. I, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, it was, it was a, a tough time because, you know, police, uh, the police had just come out. We were touring, we toured with, doing the little clubs with the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one was getting airplay yet. It was just really hard to get on the radio. Yeah, it was. Anyway, so anyway, so well, uh, we, we talk. We were talking about the second album, which you felt was a little well, rushed, right? What What's important is that is that what I like about you got picked up in Holland and France, and it went out yeah. the charts and went to number one in Australia, France, and Canada. And uh, uh, we went over to Australia. We did that. And then uh, we got back and we did a video for uh, the management goes, do you want to do a Bud Light commercial? And uh, of course, they didn't go, you'll make $60,000. They didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it was. But um, it's probably more than that. But uh, I never saw that. But um, uh, anyway, we did it at the Cubby Bear. In, uh, we did a video for the commercial at the Cubby Bear across right. the street from, uh, from uh, Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, that came out on the, for the commercial, but then we're in LA. Uh, let's see how this happened. I'm getting ahead of myself. After we did, after it came out in Holland, it was run up the charts. They called us from Holland and wanted us to do a video. So we're in LA and we did, uh, we're playing the Whiskey Go Go. We're doing sound check, and these guys came in. They brought one camera, and uh, the cheapest video we ever did was What I Like About You. We're on stage, we wanted it to look like we told them, uh, Give us a little bit of that hard day's night thing where you're like close to the hands, close to the face, yeah. close to the drummer. And then they did the close-ups and they did uh, three feet away and then out in the room. Right. And so we did that and that uh, video took off. Oh, yeah. MTV, play, MTV played the hell out of it. Yeah. And then the MTV, that's the next thing. Yeah. The next Every thing, 20 minutes. What's that? Every 20 minutes you were here. Oh, I know. I just realized, you know, I don't think about it too much. I'm getting off track here. I don't think about it too much about, uh, I really don't, about how many people have seen us, how much, how many people have bought records, how much uh, awareness people had of us, you know? And right. so I started thinking, uh, the other day I saw this thing about how they start, how they, um, let's see, it was how they started making um, uh, MTV. And they're, 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 they're talking to Jagger and uh, they wanted him to do, I, lo- I want my MTV. And he goes, how much are you going to pay me? And then, uh, you guys they, did that, right? 
We know, I don't. Oh, yeah, I think we just you did around. that. I remember that. I want my. It was you guys saying I want my MTV. Yeah, 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 yeah. When, when talking to Steve came out. But, yes. Yeah. But anyway, uh, what was I saying? I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I wasn't aware. Yeah, I was aware of how many people until I saw that thing about MTV, and I'm going. I mean, this is this year, this month. I, I'm going. Wow, MTV. We we, we were seeing a lot. <laughs> I we mean, were. We, 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 there was a lot of awareness. I, it just really kind of like hit me. I go, wow, there was a lot of, lot of faces and ears heard us. Uh, it kind of dawned on me. I just, it's. Uh, I kept my, I'm sure it's hard to comprehend it, but it's true. A lot of people have listened to you guys. And, and, you guys. and, I, and I intentionally, I try to stay away from that. I don't want to think that. I don't want to think about that. I want to think about, I want to think about and be grounded and close to the music and coming up with stuff and still. That's why right now I can still come up with great. To me, I still come up with good songs and and the stuff I've been coming out has been really yeah. received really well. It's uh, it's romantics, but it's not romantics. It's Mike Skill and it's uh. It's kicks ass. It's, it's Detroit. It's uh, it's uh, Detroit, New York, LA, whatever. Because uh, everything, everywhere I've been now, uh, the experiences I've had, uh, it's all in that music now. And uh, anyway, so we get in the studio for the second record, and uh, we, we've we've been uh, on the road. We've uh, we've done the first record, the Romantics, and um, we're going. Oh man, I, I didn't have any songs. We had no songs. I had to, in six months. I had to come up with. Well, six weeks probably, but more like six months. We had to have the full record. Uh, by the end of the year, I, uh, how did it work out? Let's see. Um, I don't know if it was the next year or if it was that next following year the record came out or if the following year we started recording. It came we, out in December of 80. So we went right in the studio the same year the first album came out. I think a few months later. Yeah, we had to. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's very quick. That's crazy. Then I had to write that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's the trauma, and that's the disillusionment with management. And the management uh, uh, genius of throwing out the guitar player who writes a lot of the songs. And that's, that's, what they did. that's what happened. You, you yeah. left the band for a while, yeah. and yep. they brought in a guy named Kaz Candler, right? Yeah. Yep, and but it wasn't for long because by the time the third album, strictly personal, yeah, okay, you were ready to come back, right? They recorded that without you, right? And then you came back. Yeah, we recorded uh, in he uh, National Breakout, and um, uh, we came. The thing is, you, you might know. I mean, uh, just the time it takes to get the ideas and get them down, and then the cassettes, and then the uh, work with a group and then figure out the harmony parts and the guitar parts. And, and that's what I was doing. I was coming up with all the stuff and then we're going on the road, going to Australia and the record's coming out. Yeah. And that's when the, it all hit. And we're just like, you know, the rebel that I am and the, the you know, wow, is, am I, is what I'm doing really good? Is Are the songs really sounding good? Everyone telling, is telling you it's great. It's wonderful. Wow. It's incredible. And you don't know what to, you don't know what to think. You 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 kind of lose your bear your your um, compass. You kind of you just lose your bearing. Sure, sure. And um, you know, and I, and I and I always was pushing, like always pushing. Man, this has got to be raw. This has got to be more energy, more higher energy attack. Yeah, I don't want to wear the the. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going through the things I'm saying and thinking. Man, I can't wear the same suits every every every. You know the same suits on the second album, and I fought and fought to not have a cover that looked like the same as, as the second cover, on the first cover, and 
you know, and I, I kind of, ru- I was rubbing people, but, but, you know, what a manager's supposed to do is keep people in line <laughs> or, or keep, bottle that energy up into the right way. Right. And it didn't happen and I'm gone. And I left for that one album. They put out that record, the record stiffed. Um, uh, National Breakout didn't do much, but it's a really good record. It is. Um, yeah. And, um, and the, the songs are fast because we were playing with the Ramones. Yeah, no, I mean, it, that, yeah. that was the year, definitely. Yeah. 1980, they had yeah. the Century out, and you guys yeah. had National Breakout. We yeah. were just like, we were just like, yeah, going for it. And uh, anyway, so I'm gone, and uh, I'm home. I'm staying home. I'm working on music. I'm kind of disoriented. I'm just kind of hanging out. The news, And then all this new stuff's coming out of uh, England, like Duran Duran, yeah. Spando Ballet. See, because the punk thing was the opposite. The punk thing was get in the studio, throw it all against the wall, and whatever it sticks. Keep it, keep it raw. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it raw. Uh, spit on it, puke on it, pour the beer <laughs> on it. Yep. And uh, by that time, by the time I was about, I was out of the band and coming back, uh, this whole scene changed a bit. It got more production oriented, uh, quality production, uh, spando ballet, squeeze. All these bands I love, XTC, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then you had the Duran Durans and the the real like more uh, disco pop. I don't know what you want to call it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, just, they, they called it new romantic. Or, you know, it was kind of like way. Brian, the Roxy music meets, uh, I don't know what, punk. <laughs> yeah, kind but, of uh, a little dance music thrown in. Yeah, dance music. And uh, so that's how uh, In Heat came about. It was a little more, it was more produced. It's still rock and roll uh, and and I had this bass line that I did uh, for Talking to Sleep. It wasn't called that at the time. It was, uh, I forget what it was called. We had some other name for it. Me and Jimmy were, I came up with the bass line, showed it to Jimmy, and we, we jammed constantly on it. Do da dum, da da dum. You know, we're, we're going off, just jamming mm-hmm. on it for, you know, half hour. And then we'd set it aside. And it'd be, it'd be over, you know, we'd put it in our back, you know, back pocket, whatever. And then uh, we needed a, uh, we did pre-production for uh, In Heat and Pete comes in and uh, Pete Sully comes in and we got him again and uh, he comes in and uh, show, we show him what, what, he, what we got and uh, I think we played that, that jam that In Heat jam we got in the studio, we had all the songs we did pre-production uh, we did recorded all the songs and then we come out, come out of the, the, the room the big room and get in, into the control room. And he says, we need one more song. Ah, hmm. oh, okay. We had done Rocky Rock. Was, was that one in the million? That was in talking in your sleep. Oh, I was talking in your sleep. Okay. <laughs> so we come in and he goes, skill, what was that bass thing you had? I go, I don't know. Uh, okay. Let me show it to you. I show it to him. And, uh, okay. It's, and Jimmy played the groove. He goes, that's pretty, that's a good groove. And we're going, well, okay, cool, man. Maybe we can make something out of it. So he goes, get the keyboard. We took the keyboard, the portable Wurlitzer, put it in the control room. Me, Jimmy, Pete, the guys around the piano, uh, you know, Wally and Cause are kind of in the back of the control room hanging. And we're going, okay, but I don't. He goes, when do we go here? What if we go here? And we're kind of like pulling it together. What we, okay, go down to here, play this chord, and turn this turn around. And uh, so we get to, we actually get the verse, turn, the whole verse. And then, uh, we need a chorus. <laughs> we need a we need music for the chorus. Then Pete's going. How about if we? How about if we? He's got the keyboard and we got guitars, and uh, we actually come up with the, the turnaround and all that. Then we're going. So, what's the title? And um, 
there's another song another song i think i heard jimmy must have heard the title uh, i hear something the secrets that you keep and uh mm -hmm. i can't remember what it is but uh he goes what about talking to you talking to your sleep and so then we start messing with the melody and then uh we we just had talking in your sleep yeah talking in your sleep talking in your sleep then someone goes how about i hear I hear the secrets that you keep. I hear the secrets that you keep. When you're talking in your sleep. Yeah, so, yeah. So, very catchy, very catchy. <laughs> and I went, oh, yeah, that's pretty, yeah, now that's good. So then we went back to the studio and then we uh, kind of, we jammed with it a few times and laid it down and uh, got a backtrack. You get a backtrack, which is drum, bass, guitars, a few guitars, and maybe a scratch vocal on tape. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, uh, we came back the next day. I think we got, Jimmy went home. Uh, I think he was writing lyrics uh, as we were in the control room. He had a book of lyrics, and uh, he wrote the lyrics. <clears throat> Actually, he was going to sing it. Excuse me. <clears throat> oh, Jimmy was going to sing that one. He was. Yeah, he wanted to sing it. He wanted oh. to sing it. He goes, I want to sing it, and uh, because he did talk, what I like about you, and I don't know well, if there was what else was going on. If there was a uh, Shmoozing or whatever, but Wally ended up gotten to sing, got to sing it. But uh, uh, Jimmy was going to sing it. Wally ended up singing it. They loved it at the label. It was different than what I like about you. It showed um, it showed a range of the romantics, which was really cool. That's you very true. Yeah, you had a rock thing, and then you had this kind of like a like a Stones would do a dance. Uh, a, you know, I almost swore there. Uh, uh, Effing uh, dance group. Dance. You could you could swear <laughs> on this show. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but you know a, a lot of people don't realize because if you ask the average music fan you know what's what's the biggest romantic song they're going to say what i like about you but talking in your sleep charted at number three yeah i mean biggest selling single actually number two actually number two <laughs> it, number it, two excuse me it ran two. into it ran into uh Owner of a Lonely Heart, I think. Oh, God. It's a way better song than Owner of a Lonely Heart. <laughs> I hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I know. That's yeah, and, 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 what, what's, that, what's so true, too, is talking in your sleep is really, it's a quintessential 80s kind of song. Well, what's weird about it is, yes, their first two albums are like pop music. Mm -hmm. And then they became this progressive band, long songs, three minutes long, yeah. double albums, four albums, and one record. Uh and then here we are back again doing pop, and they're progressive, and we, you know, we're right up against them. And it was, I think, it was the least, it was the least pop song, you know, in a way. Heart. And, good song, good song, but. And you guys might be my cup of tea. You guys might be to blame for like the ozone having a big hole in it because you had so much hairspray <laughs> in your hair. Those videos, man, talking in your sleep, one in, <laughs> one in the million. I was watching that last night. I hadn't seen that video in man. twenty something years. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, Mike's hair is like, it's like five feet off his head. <laughs> well, you know, I'm the only one, I, honestly, God, I'm the only one that didn't have to use hairspray. It just stayed up. It but, just stayed uh, up like that? But Jimmy, Jimmy and Walt, those guys really did spray it on. Jimmy especially, <laughs> Cause especially, yeah. But uh, yeah, I got in the studio, I was playing bass, I played some guitar, I was still writing songs. Those guys, uh, the label told them, uh, you got to get skill back or we're going to bring in a writer songwriter so that's how i got back in the band yeah I, it's a good thing it's a good thing. yeah i mean i i was ready to do something um unfortunately i should have uh finagled uh 
some more money out of them, but I didn't. You were probably just happy to be back too. I was happy to get get to work again, and uh, yeah. I I had started a band with a. Uh, 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 three or four guys in Detroit that were from really good bands, and uh, but um, this got in the way of it. So um, anyway, I got I got to backtrack for one second talking about Detroit bands. Did you ever in your time get to see the Sonic Rendezvous band? Yeah, yeah, you we did. played with them. We played. Oh, you with played them. with them. Yeah, we opened for them, and yeah, we opened for them. And I think I don't know if they opened for us, but we played. Um, we played the Nectarine Ballroom, which was. Uh, Used to be called Chances Are in, in Ann Arbor. Uh, God, yeah, we played. We played. Did uh, Fred Smith? Oh my God, my hero. Yeah, I mean, talking you know? about a talk about a band that you know, it's just so sad they never really yeah. went anywhere. You know, and they didn't record a whole lot. But City Slang is one of the one of the greatest yeah. rock songs ever. I think. Yeah. You know, I yeah, have the yeah. original single of it. It's, it's yeah. Oh, that's worth a lot of money. Yeah. 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 Well, here's what it was like. Uh, um. We got asked. We played all the clubs, little clubs around Detroit with them. And Fred, man, he's like, what it was is Wayne Kramer from the MC5, the mm-hmm. other guy. After all the people I told you about in the later '60s, it was Wayne Kramer and Fred Smith were my guys for guitar. Sure. Because they would they would write um, when Wayne wrote a part down below on the neck, on the lower register of the neck. Fred would put something that matched it or uh, opposed it on the guitar up above. So it was, they were working in tandem. And it was like this onslaught, and that I and I still do that today. I still do that today when I write. I'll uh, compose the same way. I'll, I'll, the, the rhythm would be down below, and then I'll build I'll, I'll build it up uh, with a wall of guitar on, on the on the upper register. Yeah. And yeah, and Shaken Street. You got to remember Shaken Street. It's a oh, great song. Shaken Street. Yep. From the MC5. And Skull. But, uh, yeah, all that. On, on high time. Yeah. 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 So I had Wayne on uh, '67 Riot. I put out. The first song I put out. Yeah, was, yeah. I, I got to oh, ask you about that because that's something yeah. that you've done uh, fairly recently, right? Yeah, uh, a year ago a year we ago. played on it, and yeah. two years ago I I put it out two years ago uh, as myself on myself, uh, and then I, those guys told me I go I'd like to get Wayne on it, but I did, I just mentioned it at the studio with Chuck Elkazian, who recorded all my my original stuff, mm-hmm. this new stuff I put out. Uh, Chuck is really great producer, God. Um, he takes my stuff to this other level. I don't know how he does it, but uh, incredible. He worked with uh, Chris Cornell and yes. uh, re- Madonna remixes and all that, and Tool and all these bands. Uh, but uh, uh, what was I getting at? Uh, 67 Riot. 67 Riot. I go in the studio. I go, man, I'd really like to get Wayne Kramer on this. It'd be really cool. And uh, Chuck goes, call him. I go, oh, I can't call him. I, I uh, I, was, I was afraid to call him. And so a few weeks went by and I called him. And he goes, Mike, send me this track. Then I want to hear it. And I sent it. And he called, called me back and he says, I love it. It's, you know, it's right up my alley. It's about the 67 riots that I grew up. I was probably 12 yeah. years old when uh, the Jeeps were uh, in my neighborhood with the they brought in the National Guard. Yeah, yeah. National Guard and uh, uh, helicopters going over and uh, smoke pouring out downtown and the news just pouring it on. Uh, uh, if it bleeds or re- it, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Dangerous uh, times, right? Yeah, really. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so... Uh, Wayne was right in the middle of that. Yeah, and uh, I was a young Back teenager, and we were all afraid. Uh, they had us all afraid that uh, riots were going to come down to our neighborhood, the white yeah, neighborhood. Yeah, they, they kind of stayed in... Yeah, yeah, Detroit proper. Yeah, it, it didn't get out too far, but it was very destructive. 
so I worked on these lyrics for quite a while. I had the uh, I had the guitar the guitar deck and uh, uh, built that up and finished it in the studio and then finished the lyrics up and it turned out really good. And I, I'm glad I got way in on it. It's just so cool. And I put out a 45. There's a vinyl 45 that's available, um, probably through my my MikeSkills.com. But um, if you're interested, but uh, yeah, yeah, Wayne's good. Wayne's good on it. Oh my god. And uh, he's going to be on the album. Uh, the album's coming out. So far, the album's coming out July 16th, coming up. My birthday. I'm going to put out the uh, oh. digital, al- digital album, uh, album. And then uh, a few months later, we got the vinyl. The vinyl will come out. I'll be and, looking for uh, that. Yeah. And um, there's going to be a 41st anniversary. It's going to be the 41st anniversary. So, because uh, the 40th anniversary sucked. <laughs> <Last year. laughs> yeah, you got to kind of skip that point. Just yeah. kidding, but no, just not, not being serious. But uh, um, no, it's 40. I'm going to do everyone does 40th anniversary. I'm doing 41st. So anyway, um, <laughs> is there and, any uh, chance of, of of Jim playing or of reels? Yeah, uh, I haven't talked to him. I called him quite a while back, and I haven't heard from him. But uh, you know. We're still a little bit in context. It's been a while. I can't, it's been at least a year since I really talked to him now. Wow. Uh, but um, yeah, you know, who knows down the road? I'd like to do this stuff I got now. I got some, a lot of my original stuff coming is coming out. I just it's released. Tough, I heard some of the new songs that sound really good. Rock Thanks, man. Yeah, it's all it's all real shit. Real yeah, stuff, you got man. just just so everybody knows, it's on SoundCloud. Yeah. Yeah, okay, you could look oh. for Mike Skill on there, and also like '67 Riot. We found that on YouTube. Yeah, you could check and, uh, out there too. Yeah, and all the streaming, right? All the MikeSkill.com also, yes, all yeah. of them. Put all the, when I do this show, I put all the links so people can find you. I also want. Oh to yeah, question. you recently did the uh, Ultra Lord show. What's that? What's that? What's that? Ultra Lord show. The tribute. I cut. You cut out. You cut out. Oh, you did the Walter Lloyd. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, for some, my mic went out, or the headphones went out. Um, yes, Walter Lloyd, man. When I was on the road, you know, we'd come into New York. We, our, the record uh, National Breakdown was recorded at A&R Studios in New York. Wow. Uh, 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 right next to where the Sheridan used to be, or the, the Sheridan is, and uh, the studio used to be right there. It's the old, um, man, they recorded a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of old stuff was record was recorded there. Mm-hmm. They tore it down, but uh, it was the um, Billy Joel studio where, where he recorded all his stuff. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, which uh, I can't take who else owned it. So off the top of my head, too, I can't think of it. Yeah. Um, anyway, we recorded that there. Uh, what else was I getting to? Um, I was talking about Walter. Yeah, Walter Lure. Um, I'd come into town. We'd come into town, and, you know, we'd get in early, or we'd go out and... Uh, down to the clubs and that, and uh, we, we you know, I see Walter Lure playing with Johnny or whatever, and mm-hmm. it was always, Hey man, how you doing? You guys sound great, you know. We, we never really hung out, but it was always like a, a mutual admiration. He was a very nice guy, he yeah, nice totally. Guy. And um, a great Les Paul player, man. Les Paul, he's great on Les Paul. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, hard, he always to, played, it's hard to play a good rhythm on Les Paul. It's all, it's, it really is a, it's an art because uh, it's got it's when you, when you turn it up, it's so. So uh, the attack on it, you got to know how to do it. Yeah, he made and, a career out of that. Yeah, like, and yeah, um, he really did. Yeah, and uh, same with Johnny. I'd run into Johnny with Wayne in Detroit. Quinn and uh, Wall. Yeah, because he's always going, "Hey, skill, hey, skill." <laughs> so in his mm-hmm. voice, I can hear it in my head. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so 
Yeah, that's that's how that uh, came about. Uh, so I I heard they were doing it. I called them up and I said, "Look, if you're interested, uh, I love Walter is uh, playing and uh, Heartbreakers and Johnny and all everybody. And uh, if you need somebody to do something, if you want me to do something, I'll, I'll lay it down for you and uh, you can take it and do it." And I waited a while and uh, didn't hear anything. And then uh, I kind of waited almost too late. And he goes, "Man, yeah, we give us something. Give us two or three songs." So I just went in and uh, did. Uh, you were dealing with Barry. Yeah, I was going yeah. through. I went through Barry. Barry yeah, Barry's uh, great. Yeah, F- yeah, really cool. I got a. In fact, I owe him a call. Barry and uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Steve. Oh uh, shit! Yeah, Steve yeah, Krebs. Steve Krebs. Krebs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, I got. I owe him a call actually, because it's uh, now we're going to do the Johnny Thunder's thing. I think. Well, are you doing Unless the Johnny you, Thunder's birthday thing next I month? I think he wants me to do. He wanted yeah, me to come, I'm gonna come be, in. I'm, I'm going to be talking to Steve Krebs possibly also uh, before that. So I, get, I might even uh, go to that if I can get down there. I got to make sure. I really got to make sure I'm not doing a song that everyone else is doing. I uh, I think I'm going to do. Uh, I don't know if I want to say what I'm going to do. I, I might do uh, Courageous Cat and uh, Pipeline and then uh, a couple of couple original, originals, something like that. So we'll do like an instrumental kind of thing of John yeah. and then something original of yours. Yeah. No, original his. Original his. his. Yeah, okay. I'm not doing I won't do my stuff. I'll do his stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah so you know, do, you should do, um, let me think. Do like In Cold Blood. Oh, yeah. I, that might oh, be an yeah. interesting one for you to do. I'll check that out. Yeah. Talking about doing dope on Avenue A, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do Born to Lose, but I got a feeling everybody's going to Oh, so, do every, so you know somebody's going to do that. Yeah, I know. You know. I love so, um, Let's get into. Let's move up a little bit towards what you've got going on now. Okay, uh, some of the stuff you sent me. There's tracks. Not my business. Yeah. My bad. Pretty soul. Soul alone. Yeah. Dark side of your love. We got your rock and roll. And then sixty-seven riot with yeah. Kramer. You have an album coming out. You said in July. What, yep. You got a title for it yet? Um, I've got a couple. I, I, oh, I mean, there's nothing gonna be, set. I, I, I'll either embellish my name or, uh, or <laughs> self-titled, <laughs> or, or uh, yeah, something like that. Or I got a couple things in mind. So okay. I, it might be nice to just use the name, but uh, I'm not sure. I'd like to get creative on it, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's the What's the best way for people to reach you? Your, your website? Yeah, MikeSkill.com is uh, probably the best way, and. Uh, all the music's on Spotify and Bandcamp, you know, you know, all yeah. the usual sites. And you got a pretty good Facebook page too, Mike Skill on Facebook. Not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, We're working I see, on I see you the on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I can't, I wish I'd get into New York. I just told him, like, I'm not going to get in this time, but I'll catch you next time. Well, uh, keep in mind, Mr. Rossi here, Rob Rossi, he's yeah. a bartender at the International Bar on First Avenue. Ah. So we will, we will set you up. Yeah. Okay. You let us know when you're coming. Absolutely, and uh, for uh, not my business, I've got uh, Ricky Rats on guitar. He played guitar for the Dead Boys. Yes, Ricky Rats so he, is great. Yeah, so he's in my band when I'm playing Detroit. Yeah, when I'm out with this thing, with the thing I'm doing, he'll probably be. I think he'll be playing guitar mostly. So uh, Ricky Rat and uh, Brad Elvis on drums, and Brad Elvis, uh, right. yeah, on bass. Uh, there's one of two people. So yeah, so we'll be getting around soon. All right. Yeah. Well. Well, Mike, listen, thank you for coming on. It's been fantastic. And keep in touch. All right. Yeah, yeah. You'll see me on Facebook. We'll stay in touch. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Rob Rossi, thanks, you guys. Yeah, that, uh, man. Thanks for a great interview. So many great stories. Um, we lived a hell of a life, man. Man, I, I'm, I, I was feeling like I was talking too much. I'm sorry if I did. No, no, it was, it was fantastic. I just let you go, man. man. <laughs> you guys are a great interview, man. It's really cool. Thanks. So, thanks. Well, it's all about the music, Mike, all right? We wish you the best of luck. And, thanks, uh, my. You know, you'll be safe and stay in touch, okay? Well, thanks to you, my uh, New York brothers. Please, uh, definitely. Thank you, guys. On. All right. Uh, all right. Take care of yourself. Healthy, all health to you, and uh, good luck. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank Take you. care, guys. Bye. <laughs> Take care, guys. Later. Podcast you will hear that will be music to your ears. You'll learn about bands you love or may not know, and it's only here on the Rock Show. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.